0: Welcome to Go Green Radio, everyone. So glad that you could join us. I really feel strongly about the topic we're going to be covering today. I think it's really important and absolutely critical that we're all well-educated on what's going on with our nation's water infrastructure. You know, it wasn't built to last forever. I mean, we'd, we'd love it if we could build water pipes and sewage systems that were made out of materials that would never rust, never corrode, never leak. But the fact is that we've got a system that's built Needs maintenance, and we're going to be talking today about what it's going to take in terms of public policy and public investment in order to ensure that the public water system that we have come to rely upon and come to almost take for granted continues to be Top notch first rate for generations to come. And today we're joined by Kristen Urquiza. She is the national campaign manager for an exciting new campaign called Public Water Works. And I'm really excited to have her on and excited to dig deep into this topic. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Kristen. Thanks so much for having us. You bet. I'm glad that you could join us. And I'm looking forward to talking about your new campaign, Public Waterworks. But before we do, I'd like to talk about some of the issues that led up to this campaign. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I'd love for you to give our listeners some historical background on public water in America. How
2: and when did it evolve? Sure. Um, that's a great place to start because, I, I, I mean, a lot of... Um, the public doesn't actually know the history of our, our water systems. And the way that, that I see it, there are three main um, kind of development phases in which our public water systems evolved. So there was the creation of the systems, then there was development of disinfectants to make sure that the water was clean and safe to drink, and then expansion and safeguarding. And I'll talk a little bit about that, but because we were able to make this national commitment over the course of the last couple of hundred years, um, our public water systems actually provide. Uh, 99% of U.S. households with access to clean, safe drinking water. So it's really incredible when you think about that in the context of right now we're in a world water crisis where globally one in eight people don't have access to clean, safe drinking water that they need to, to do things from not only, you know, going to the tap and turning it on, but then also from washing dishes and taking showers and baths and that type of thing. Um, so... Back here in the United States, um, the creation of our systems actually uh, started in Philadelphia in 1801. And following the lead uh, from there, cities began implementing public water systems to improve sanitation and then provide residents with healthy drinking water to prevent. And then also um, it was an important creation for preventing fires, which you may have heard that there were really large fires in the U.S., Uh, back at the beginning of the 19th century. And from the creation of those systems, there was immediate uh, improvements to public health, uh, which is an incredible step forward. But still at the beginning of the 1900s, waterborne illnesses accounted for uh, nearly a third of deaths in, in cities across the country. So that's where we go into, at the beginning of the 19th century, we really put in a lot of resources to figure out how can we deliver, not only deliver water to individuals, but also deliver clean water to individuals. And that's where disinfectants came into play. And once we were able to really figure out um, how to use disinfectants, such as chlorine, to purify water, that led to a breakthrough, an absolute huge boon to public health. So we were able to then um, expand access to water that by the 1950s, uh, we were delivering safe drinking water to households, all across uh, the country after World War II, where we really made a an, in, an investment in infrastructure, um, and it just became a, a priority for, for us as a nation to be able to provide access to water um, to folks, and, and it was also an economic driver. So um, we... As we began to expand, we also realized that it was really important to pass policies to protect and ensure these systems for future generations to come. So that's when we kind of evolved into the last great period of our public water systems before their decline, which we're going to talk about, which is in the 1970s and the passage of really instrumental uh, laws from the Safe Drinking Water Act and the the Clean Water Act that not only uh, protect Uh, groundwater sources from pollution, but also have these really stringent um, quality um, controls in order to make sure that the water coming from our taps is is safe to drink.
0: Well, you know, besides safe drinking water, there's so much more um, in terms of benefits that we've realized as a result of our water infrastructure. And I'd love for you to talk about that. I mean, everybody can understand that, you know, hey, I want safe drinking water. We've seen headlines from other countries where there have been cholera outbreaks and things like that due to waterborne illnesses. But besides delivering clean water for drinking, what are some of the other great things that we've realized as a nation as a result of our water infrastructure?
2: Yeah, that, that's such a great question because I do think you're right in that. We overall I think are pretty aware that delivering safe drinking water you know, is critical for eradicating waterborne diseases like you mentioned cholera, uh, which still plagues. You know, unfortunately, it's one of the leading causes. Uh, waterborne diseases is still one of the leading causes of death in the developing world. But here in the in the U.S., we we've seen so much more um, as a result of of making this national commitment. And and I think the two really big areas to focus on that that are sometimes not highlighted is just you know, what it means to provide access to water and then also just, you know, what sort of economic development we've been able to achieve in this, in the sense of stimulating our economy but then also just creating jobs. And, you know, at, at this particular time <laughs> in um, our current days, you know, we're looking for ways in which to continue to stimulate the economy and create jobs. So I think those are really important ways to, Highlight that our water systems have have provided uh, to us. So on, on the on the really... previous um, topic of access, um, by making this national commitment to strong public water systems, we really took a significant step to ensure that no one was denied access to water because of their means. So there's a really strong message here in that water is a human right. It um, you know, it's something that we all need in order to survive. It's essential to life. And because we live in a society where, you know, some folks have means than others, we don't want to create two water systems. So one for, you know, people who can afford it and one for everyone else. So by really investing in our water systems, we're ensuring equitable access to really the foundation cornerstone of what we need in order to have, you know, strong, healthy lives, but then also, you know, be able to... Um, you know, do things like go to work. So, for example, in, in a lot of the developing world, women spend a majority of their day walking across, you know, their town or their community to bring a few pitchers of water home to their family. So being able to really take that out of the equation and making sure that everyone has a, uh, a level playing field is a really critical, um, benefit of having, you know, public, w- strong public water systems. But then on the, on the other perspective, this is such a great, Um, you know, such a great time to be thinking about public water as a a vehicle for stimulating the economy and creating jobs. So dedicated support um, in the U.S. for our public water systems just has a really long history of really advancing um, economic development. So when we invest dollars into public water, we create jobs, we stimulate the economy, and it's really the backbone for business and, and government services we all rely on. So Whenever you think about infrastructure, um, whenever we invest one dollar into our public water systems, it actually generates more than six dollars for the economy at large. So, as, as far as investment goes, it's one of the wisest and most stimulating investments that we can we can make. And then, mm-hmm. when you think about jobs, um, investing in public water has an incredible um, benefit for creating jobs, and these are the type of jobs that we need. They're green. They span a variety of, of disciplines from engineering all the way down to accounting and um, provide steady work to, to millions of, of Americans. And there's been a ton of studies out there to, to look at just how many jobs can we create if we invest more into into public water. And for every job that we actually invest and in, in create in the public water sector, there's actually about almost four additional jobs that are created in the, in the national, national economy to support that job. So... We saw that all throughout the course of of, of history where um, we were able to not only eradicate some of these diseases um, like cholera, which is what actually communities in in Philadelphia and other places were, were facing, but then, you know, we're able to see these huge advances in economic development at the same time that we were investing in our public water systems. And so you know, now is a great time to continue to look to look at the history of our public water systems and say, look, we need to continue to um, reinvest it and, and bring these systems up to speed.
0: Well, let me ask you this: you know, um, when you talk about job creation, are all of these jobs supported by public dollars, or are some of them private sector jobs as well?
2: I mean, that's a that's a good. Good question. Whenever we invest money into our public water systems, it actually raises, um, you know, raises our economy across the board. So whether it's public and private, there are um, really great ways in which everyone benefits whenever we invest in public water systems. So, for example, um, in our public water systems across across the country, they're, you know, maintained and run by, you know, public workers. But, you know, obviously some of the... um, You know, the advancements in um, health and disinfectants are done by, you know, private industry folks who are, you know, advancing technologies. So whenever we're looking at, wow, like, what can we do in order to really create jobs in both the private and public sector, uh, making sure that our public water systems are strong and publicly owned creates jobs, not only in the public sector, but then all of these supporting jobs to make sure that the technology as well as, um, you know, the, the, you know, the creation of, of pipes and, and materials to support that uh, system are, are also also benefit greatly.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you you've talked about the history of why we started the public works uh, water system to begin with, but where was the funding coming from? Give us some history of how this was paid for.
2: That is a good question. I mean, there has been. A long national commitment to our funding, uh, to funding of our public water systems and, and up until the, the 1980s, it really was a partnership between local, state, and the federal government. And we really saw a, a drop, um, in the commitment from the federal government in the late 1980s and, and early 1990s. So, I mean, over the course of, you know, the, the last 35 years, um, investment from, of public water systems from the federal government has you know, basically dried up. Um, whereas in the 1970s they were providing over 75% of what these systems need. Today they provide less than 3% of what our systems need. And what's happening is that, that, that burden of funding our public water systems is shifting onto the shoulders of state and local governments and, and, and taxpayers and investment in infrastructure is, um, incredibly expensive and, and it's making it really, um, it's making, the situation really dire for cities to try to figure out how to fund these systems.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, let's face it, this is not a sexy issue to run on for city council.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It is not a sexy issue to run on
0: for Congress either, and that's part of the problem. I mean, you just don't hear any politician saying, elect me and you will continue to have what you already have, which is clean water. It's a tough Sell politically, um, and so you know that I'm sure that's part of the issue. We've got to take a quick, quick commercial break, but when we come back, much, much more on our aging water infrastructure, what we can do about it, and this new national campaign that Kristen is running called Public Water Works. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this.
1: Two views, different topics, questions, answers, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you happen to just be joining us, our guest today is Kristen Urquiza. She works for Corporate Accountability International, and she's the national campaign manager for a brand new campaign they've got called Public Water Works, and it's dealing with something that is sort of silent, but uh, very, very important. A lot of us in America take our clean water for granted. Uh, We turn on the tap, and there it is, like magic, but the fact is that the infrastructure that was built many decades ago to bring that clean water to us and to move our water around wasn't made of Uh, titanium or anything that would last forever. It was made with materials that need to be maintained. It's in some cases need to be replaced and the federal government money that used to cover that kind of investment has dried up and we need to take a look at this as citizens and as a nation and reprioritize where we put water infrastructure. It's just so critical, not just to our you know, individual standard of living, but also to our economy. Kristen, I've got a question for you. When the sure. U.S. federally stopped investing as heavily as they did in our water infrastructure, what was our population back then?
2: Um, that's a really good question. So, you know, in the in the 1980s, uh, we were actually actually in the year of 1980, we were in the peak use of our our water for for the nation. So it's actually not a question of, oh, we have a, a lot more, you know, people now in the United States that are using our, our water systems. Um, we actually have, have decreased the amount of water that we've used since the 1980s, even with, with more people. Um, the challenge, though, is just ensuring that there is access to folks. And just because we're using less water doesn't mean that there's less of a burden on these systems. And you know, new connections and expanded, you know, water mains and new treatment centers in new and expanding regions, especially out west all require a strong commitment to advancing and investing in our, in our public water system. So it's really you know, a question that's much bigger than just population. It's about, wow, we're, we've actually made really great strides in, in conserving water as, as a public, but we really need to bolster up what the federal government and then also what local and city governments can do to protect these systems.
0: Well, you mentioned out west, and I know that if you look at population in America, not only has it grown, um, but it's shifted somewhat. Mm-hmm. We've seen this is a global, you know, trend of urbanization. We've seen a lot more people move from rural areas in the U.S. to urban areas. We've also seen, and this I find sort of incredible. It's kind of counterintuitive, but I think it speaks to how, um how well public utility managers have done at making the whole water uh, supply situation sort of invisible to the U.S. We've seen a shift in population to a place where there is naturally less water, and that's right. the Southwest. Right. Talk about the impact of that shifting population on our water infrastructure.
2: Well, sh- shifting populations can be very important issues for water systems. I'm really glad that that you raised that, Jill. Um, there are really two forces at work. So one, as you mentioned, there's this increasing population in places in the west, and in particular in the southwest, which are really arid and dry climates. And what happens in these water stress regions is that we're actually still developing um, water systems, um, and we're developing water systems in a place where there's not a lot of natural resources to begin with, and, and you put that in context and the influx of people, you have a very stressed um, situation that takes a really strong commitment to figure out how to actually provide access um, to water, to people, um, as well as consider the, the environment in which you're working in, um, mm-hmm. and that, that's really costly. Uh, but the other force that we're working with here is that there is a declining population in some of the older cities in the northeast and the northern part of, of the country. And, and these older systems are, I mean, these are the places where systems have been in place for a really long time. But this is exactly what the, co- the, the topic that we've been raising. These systems are old. Some of them are 200-plus are years old and need to be replaced. And this is a very costly um, conundrum for for the Northeast as well, because as the population shifts and if there isn't a federal commitment to our water systems, the burden of replacing those pipes and upkeeping of those systems falls back down on on local governments and ratepayers and, rate payers. and it, it's going to be absolutely incredibly impossible to keep up with um, what the cost is for for upkeeping and, and replacing those systems
0: mm-hmm Let me ask you this, you know, because a lot of Americans just can't wrap their heads around this issue because they turn on the tap, there's clean water. Can you give us some examples of areas within the U.S. where? System maintenance hasn't been done and they're beginning to experience problems or are we, are we just too far out ahead? We're,
2: we're being too futuristic and there aren't problems yet. Can you give us any examples of, of that? Yeah, I can. And it's a, it's a good thing to note that, you know, we're at a time right now where our water systems, you know, we have a choice. And there are some of these examples popping up in communities across the country, but by and large we, most of us have access to clean, safe drinking water, um, but there are, but there are are these instances happening. We um, recently released a report um, in March that actually detailed a few of these cases, and the one I want to talk about is this uh, small community in Kemp, Texas. Um, they've actually had three boil water notices just in the past two years. Um, And two were actually in the same month in August of last year, which was happening simultaneously during um, just one of those crazy summer heat waves that uh, the Southwest uh, gets. And the crumbling systems were just – too, It was just too much to handle the extreme um, stress on the system, as well as the heat, and um, a, a lot of the pipes under the city burst underneath the strain. And so, what ended up happening was that that folks within that community were actually without water for over 48 hours in a sweltering heat wave, and families were forced to figure out other solutions for for water. Um, you know, going to different towns and um, doing boil alerts, and so the city. Is still in a situation where they haven't found funding to, you know, adequately fix a problem so that this upcoming summer, a similar situation, you know, wouldn't happen. And, you know, Kemp is, Kemp is a, a smaller community in a place, uh, you know, in Texas, but the, these types of, you know, aging infrastructure, there, there are situations happening all over the country and, and a, a larger example, in Washington DC our, our own nation's capital um, they have on average 450 water main breaks a year and the oh my rates gosh. have yeah and, and not only that the rates have gone up by um, one and a half in just 4 years to pay for all of the repairs and the, you know, water director in, in DC, George Hawkins, is one of the leading advocates for reinvesting in our water systems and yet he's dealing with a system that's really underfunded in the place in which there's been deaf ears to the call of the public and, and water directors and mayors across the country about the need to reinvest in those systems. So it's a really tough situation that communities small and large are in. Um mm-hmm. and it's gonna to continue to to only worsen over the course of the next you know, the course of the next several decades, we're, we're in a time in which, you know, many refer to as the replacement era, in which, uh, you know, over 95% of all of the pipes are, are going to are, are gonna need to be replaced. And, and that's a, a huge burden for us that we need to take really seriously.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, our public water systems aren't just about delivering clean water. There's a whole uh parallel compartment to this and that's the wastewater treatment system mm-hmm. you know that we don't want to deal with sewage in the streets right this oh, gosh, is how no. we <laughs> this is how we deal with that part of the water system talk about what's happening with those systems
2: yeah that- well wastewater so- is is the other side of the coin and mm-hmm. um you know wastewater systems are also integral to drinking water and 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 health in, in general so one of the main challenges that wastewater systems are facing right now is something called combined sewer overflows. Um, have you have you heard of this before?
0: No, but it sounds disgusting. Please yeah. go on.
2: <laughs> um, it's, you know, one of these fancy ways of describing basically what happens when stormwater overwhelms a treatment plant and then mm. causes raw sewage to spill into waterways. And so this pollution, you know, at the very basic level threatens wildlife but it's also a threat to to humans who who use the water for swimming and recreation and yeah. it's all part of the water cycle so a lot of these waterways are the source for our our water systems so these polluted waterways then serve um, you know put a strain on our drinking water systems because there's you know more that we have to do in order to purify that water for human use mm mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it, it, I used to be in the Navy and I remember once being underway and uh, we saw a little bit of that kind of an effect in the showers when when the ship's sewage system backed up and it came into the showers. It was really Ooh, quite remarkable. So that's definitely not something we want to see in the streets of America. Um, so what do you think about water rates in the U.S.? I mean, they're, they're fairly low. Considering what a valuable resource this is, do you think that if we raised rates in the U.S., that would spur conservation and create funding for infrastructure maintenance? I mean, are there changes that we need to make in our pricing structure?
2: I mean, I think the, the question of rates is a really important question to raise in this context because, you know, it, we could think, oh well, you know, let's put it, let's put the, the burden of our water systems onto our, our onto the taxpayers. And I think it's an important question to bring up and look at from a couple of different angles. And I think that the first thing to point out is that when thinking about this question, water is a human right. It's a necessity for life and as such, our most essential public resource. So it belongs, you know, for the commons and should be controlled and and provided to the public in a way that's in the, the public's interest. And you know, the, the funding challenges that our public water systems face right now, I don't believe are from a lack of commitment from ratepayers and, and and end users. Um, you know, ratepayers have paid um, their fair share of the increasing cost of water distribution. So just looking at the numbers um, from 2001 to 2009, um, the average you know, ratepayer increased 5.3 um, percent, which is more than double the rate of inflation in just that time period. So, you mm-hmm. know, ratepayers are, are definitely increasing their fair share, uh, but it's still not enough to to cover the costs. And I think that when you're looking at it all, all over, going back to what the system that we had that was working, this partnership between local state and federal government was a really good example and, and rate players were able to pay water at a low rate that ensured that they were part of the system. But their biggest you know the biggest supporter of that of that system, the federal government, like I said earlier, has basically stepped away from, from the table and that's posing a really big challenge. Mm-hmm. To local and city governments, which you know are, are making some really tough decisions about how to you know cut corners and and how to fund these systems, but then you know the public mm-hmm. is seeing more than their fair share of, of the cost of this.
0: Well, you know you raised an interesting point, and we're going to cover that after we come back from commercial break. But ratepayers and taxpayers are the same people, so. One way or another, funding for this infrastructure is going to come from everyday Americans, and it's a matter of what pool of money is used for that. So, we're going to talk about that. That's a big, big issue. How much do we need to invest, and where's the money going to come from? We'll talk about that right after this commercial break. Don't go away. Much more. Go Green Radio right after this.
1: News. News. Opinion. News. Opinion.
0: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us and so glad that our guest could join us today. If you're just tuning in, we're with Kristen Urquiza, and she's the national campaign manager for a new campaign called Public Water Works out of Corporate Accountability International. That's her boss. And we're talking about America's aging water infrastructure. And we've been talking a lot about how it could impact individuals um, and how important clean drinking water is and the systems that bring that to us and we've also also talked a little about wastewater uh, management as well. But before we get into the particulars of how much it's going to cost us, what's the the bottom line here to upgrade, to maintain, and in some cases replace the infrastructure uh, for our public water system, I want to talk about how our water system impacts our economy and how it impacts industry in America. Kristen, if our water infrastructure begins to
2: fail, what impact is that going to have on our nation's economy? I mean, the lack of attention to our public water systems will have staggering consequences, um, not only on you know our local communities, but on local businesses. And I think that a lot of elected officials have been, put it best by saying you can't do business in today's you know economy without a strong public water system. Uh, it's really the backbone of of day-to-day interactions. Um, we've we've looked at the numbers and it's um, I mean the the conservative estimates show that about uh businesses will lose about seven hundred and thirty four uh billion dollars between now and twenty twenty because of costs and sales lost due to unreliable water infrastructure. Um, and this these losses could put up to half a million jobs in jeopardy and, and that's just in the short term uh, if you're looking long term you know businesses and households will continue to lose lose um, customers and services and jobs due to our lack of uh, not being able to rely on a strong public water system so there's a, a definite, um, concern for local businesses, uh, we've worked with a, a lot of local businesses to really raise the profile of the importance of, of water for, for their business. Mm -hmm. Well,
0: I mean, it makes sense for, say, like restaurants, naturally, they need water to cook. But what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, even in this presidential election year, you're going to hear a lot about bringing jobs to America. And you're going to hear, coupled with that, a lot about bringing back manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, the manufacturing sector is water intensive. Most manufacturing operations rely upon an incredible amount of water to run those operations. And so... So, um, you know, there there are just a handful of things that are needed to bring manufacturing jobs into a local community, which, you know, obviously stimulates a local economy, and that's fuel to move their goods once they're manufactured, electricity to run their operations, and water. And, um, you know, that's just something that cannot be ignored, cannot be denied. Well, let's get down to brass tacks, Kristen. If we're going to fix this, if we're going to maintain and replace the water infrastructure as it needs to be done to keep it the gold standard of the world in terms of public water systems, what's the bottom line? How much do we need to invest?
2: Well, the bottom line is $600 billion in the next 20 years. And that's from the EPA. Um, and that's looking at both wastewater and drinking water systems, so making sure we have Clean water coming out of our taps, but then also making sure things like the combined sewer overflow situation we talked about in the previous section isn't happening, and, mm. and that's an estimate figure. Some some put it as as much as one trillion dollars in the next 25 years. Um, so it's definitely an investment that that is substantial. But I mean, we've shown that we can do it. And. Again, this partnership in the 1970s between the local, state, and federal government, I, I think is a really good example of what we need to, um, implore again to make sure that our water systems take us, uh, into, you know, into this next, um, this next period.
0: Where do you think this money's going to come from? I mean, everybody knows that from federal to state to local, uh, levels. Our governments are all in debt. You know, there's not enough to go around. Communities are laying off police officers and firefighters. The federal government is slashing, you know, the
2: budget wherever they can. Where's this money going to come from? It's such a great question and I'm really glad that, that you've raised it, Jill. I mean, the, the, the fact that is that water is just a primary public service. Uh, this is what we've been talking about. It's foundational to our economy. It's foundational to public health, and it's foundational to business, not only from restaurants all the way to the to the manufacturing industry. Um, and you know, we've actually looked at some, uh, done some polling, and see that the that the United States is actually the public is behind investing public dollars into our public water systems. And and that still brings down to the question: Well, where are these dollars going to come from? And You know, there's absolutely no denying the fact that right now there is a debate about what the role of the government should be in our daily lives and and how to spend the scarce public dollars that we have. Um, But at the end of the day, when we're looking at the budget, water serves every sector of the economy, whether it is our firemen who rely on public water to, to, you know, to stop fires in our communities to our schools and children being able to have access to water while they're learning in schools. And the American public stands behind making sure that this um, is safeguarded from any bu- budget conversation. And, you know, our, I think our role in the Public Water Works campaign is not about, you know, fixing the budget itself to make sure this happens, but really raising the profile of public water as an essential service um, that has gone neglected, and 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 put it in the realm of these other services that that you've mentioned, whether it's transportation, education, um, public safety, um, and you know, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that you know the pipes are underground. We are so used to being able to walk up to our tap and turn it on and not think twice about it. But Mm -hmm. that might that is in jeopardy if we don't do something about it soon. And so raising the profile of this issue to the national scene, I think, is going to enable the federal government and the people whose jobs it is to actually cut the checks in the right way to recognize that the public is demanding that this be a priority as well.
0: Well, I hear the public demanding a lot of things. <laughs> you know, I mean, you've got Occupy everything going on right now, and, you know, there are a lot of public demands on limited public dollars. And, you know, I could poll my family and say, who's in favor of a family vacation to Paris this year? And I would get 100% support. But then if I said, well, That's great. In order to afford that, we're going to have to cut cable TV, internet access, allowances for the next two years, and no new summer clothes. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, that trip to Paris might not be so important. It might not be the most important thing that everybody wants funded. And though you and I, and anybody who really thinks about it rationally, I can say, "Well, water is the most important thing. I'm not sure that the public would put it at the top if they realized that in order to pay for this they were going to have to cut other things they want out of the budget and that's where it, the the rub is somebody else some other entity that's currently yeah. getting public dollars is going to have to take a cut in order to pay for water and i think you know if we leave this up to elected officials they get pressured from so many different groups. I think if we could say, look, water's more important than A, B, and C, and so the money to pay for this water infrastructure should come from these groups or these special interests or these currently funded programs, then you're helping set the stage for a successful shift in public funding to this issue. Does your campaign address that, or are you just kind of letting elected officials figure that out?
2: Well, first off, I think that maybe you should run for office because we need our elected officials looking at <laughs> oh the, <boy>. budget. <laughs> I the budget. Oh boy, that would not pull well in my household. For your
0: family, <laughs> um, but I mean, I feel my approval ratings in my household going down already.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, seriously, the I mean the. I mean, it's, you raise a really good point. You can't provide support for everything. And I think that there's been a lot of um, public outcry about how we are spending our, our scarce public dollars from the Occupy movement to... You know our campaign and working on our public water systems to a whole host of other interests that are actually serving the public and, and are really incredible, incredibly important. And I think that the the key to really solving this problem is doing a, a comprehensive look at, at some of these loopholes um, that our current laws have, and 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 really taking a step back and thinking through like what are our priorities. And our main concern of our campaign right now is is really showing. The federal government—that um, there is a huge disconnect between where they're at with water and how they've been funding water—and I, I think that's the first step. And um, in 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 the work that we're doing together is really helping put those two pieces of the pie together. So then we can then answer the question: So how are we going to fund this? And there's a mm-hmm. lot of d- different ideas out there on the table, from uh, creating an infrastructure bank. Um, to you know, we ha- currently have state revolving funds that aren't being funded. This is the main source of revenue that that water has been getting um, over the course of the last 20 years. Um, to actually creating grant programs like we had in the 1970s. Um, but the very first challenge that we're faced right now is 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 connecting those two pieces of this That's disconnect true. on on the prioritization of water.
0: Well, that's smart. And you do have to take it in steps. And so I think that's that's a wise approach. And you do have some elected officials who are, you know, taking action to embrace your campaign. Some of them are, you know, banning, buying public, uh, using public dollars to buy a bottled water. And some are doing even more than that. Um, Mm -hmm. In the minute or so before we go to the next commercial, tell us about some of the things that elected officials are doing to support your campaign.
2: We've had so much support from elected officials from city councilors to, you know, mayors and, and governors. And I think that the places to highlight is really the work that the mayors are doing. And uh, these are the folks that are seeing the, the crisis you know, in their communities on a day-to-day basis. And um, on the Public Water Works campaign, we've worked with over 30 mayors to sign on to our open letter calling on the president and members of Congress to prioritize water. But they're also taking this commitment a step further. So, for example, Mayor Ryback, he's the mayor of Minneapolis, uh, has created an entire program in his community to uh, really address the the marketing of bottled water as healthier than than tap water. Uh, we have another campaigner or organization called Think Outside the Bottle. It's also worked with with his offices on really highlighting the you know great public service that the city of Minneapolis uh, provides for the residents there. And through um, the Tap Minneapolis program, they actually do these blind taste tests uh, mm-hmm. where they put bottled water against Minneapolis tap water and see if you can tell the difference. Hardly anybody <laughs> ever good. can, and, and most people are like, "Wait, this 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 water is the best." It's the Minneapolis tap water, but they're also partnering with local businesses to highlight water within um, the local business and how it's integral there. Um, and On the other side of the country, we have you know Mayor uh, Ed Lee in, in San Francisco, has actually yeah. put aside four point six billion dollars um, to you know really look at the Hetchy regional water system and make mm-hmm. sure that it's up to date for the for the next century um, and has a long-term commitment to reinvesting in infrastructure to provide you know that the 2.6 million people in the San Francisco Bay area for uh, water that the Hetchy provides um, and then you know within the mayors overall there's a, a conference of mayors um Body called the U.S. Conference of Mayors and uh, Mayors Rawling Blake and then Mayor Hosterman from Pleasanton, California. Uh, the two of them co-chair a Water Council um, a committee that is, you know, directly engaging with the federal government about the priorities that mayors are putting forth within the conference for water systems. And we're working closely uh, with them and they're both signers of our open letter as well. And, and so there's a lot of opportunities and a lot mm-hmm. of momentum happening. Interestingly enough, Jennifer Hosterman is
0: my mayor. Oh, (laughs) fantastic. And her daughter used to be my intern. Oh, my goodness. Goodness, Small world. Small world. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, there's much, much more. We're going to talk about the nexus between clean water and energy in America. So don't go away, folks. More Go Green Radio right after this. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could join us for this super-duper important topic. I'm really, really intent on spreading the word as widely as we can that we've got to maintain and in some cases replace the pipes that make up our very critical um, water infrastructure in America. You know, these some of these systems were built 100 years ago. 200 years ago and they're not made of uh, diamonds Uh, they don't last forever and we've got to invest public dollars in order to keep our public water working well and and keeping up all the hard work that that system does for us not just clean drinking water of course but also feeding manufacturing operations and farming operations and you know even putting out fires when the firefighters come to to fight the blazes that we have oftentimes in our cities so there's so much at stake with our public Waterworks. And we're talking today with Kristen Urquiza, who's working on a national campaign to raise awareness. This campaign's called Public Waterworks. It's through the Corporate Accountability International organization that she works for. You know, Kristen, we were talking earlier in the show about how it's tough to get elected officials to talk about investing in water infrastructure as a political issue. It's not sexy. It's not something that we're hearing a lot about. But there is a sexy issue that relates to this, and that is focusing on energy in this country. And there's a lot of talk about it. Um, You know, even though... You hear about it from both sides of the aisle and nobody can quite agree on what a national energy policy ought to look like in this country. There is bipartisan support for a national energy policy. And a lot of people don't realize that it actually takes a lot of clean water to create energy. And whether you're talking about coal, nuclear, natural gas, you know, etc., there is a lot of clean water needed in order to run those power plants. And I'm just wondering... If your campaign is looking at ways to kind of latch on to the coattails of this push for energy policy and make sure that water infrastructure is a significant component of any new energy plans that we come up with in America.
2: Well, you're exactly right that the energy sector is one of the largest water users, uh, not just here, but around the world.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: it looks like as we're trying to figure out our energy future, it will only become you know, more profound in the future, and it, it's something that that the public does, isn't necessarily aware of. We, we we think of public water, we think of our tap, we think of firemen, we think of the things that that you laid out um, earlier, and really, you know, the, the the cornerstone of our campaign is and our organization is just standing behind water as an essential public service that must be governed by democratic, uh, accountable institutions. So. Many times we've seen corporations will try to take um, this control in order to profit from water, uh, from water-intensive activities. And energy is is certainly an important resource for us in the U.S. And you know, very well may require a, a good deal of water in the future. But we are really cautious about any allocation of of water that you know goes directly to energy. Um, We we believe that it should be open to public discussion and debate and decision to make sure that that people are prioritized first and Mm -hmm. then Corporations um, and, and their ability to profit.
0: You know this issue of the nexus between clean water and clean and, and energy, not just clean energy. Of course, it does. You know renewable energy sources require clean water as well. Mm-hmm. This issue really came to the forefront of my mind, and I started researching more about it last summer when Texas was experiencing such a tremendous drought. And there was an area in Texas where farmers were protesting the placement of a new coal plant. And it wasn't the typical Sierra Club protest where it was like, we don't want a coal plant, air pollution, blah, blah, blah. The farmers didn't want to have to compete with the coal plant for clean water. Mm-hmm. In order for a coal plant or any other, you know, turbine generated electricity plant to operate, they need clean water because dirty water would gunk up the the mechanical you know process within the power plant but the farmers were protesting the coal plant because they needed that clean water to water their crops and i found that to be so incredibly poignant when you see agriculture and energy plants at odds because of clean water that tells you wow it's it's a scarce valuable resource and we've got to have water infrastructure that can meet such a huge variety of needs. It's incredible.
2: And you're and, exactly right to point on that in particular. It's very poignant. And unfortunately, a lot of times what gets lost in that equation is what about the water that's going to our households, to our schools, to our firemen? And, you know, our, our water systems are incredibly important for a whole whole host of Um, Of users and the the public is really what we're saying with our campaign should be the priority, and then let's figure out how to make sure that we can provide our limited resources in ways that are sustainable for the future. Absolutely, you
0: know, I I know that a lot of our listeners are, you know, everyday citizens. They're not members of their local water board or what have you, how can everyday people find out what's happening with their own local water systems?
2: I, that's a that's a great um, question. I mean, it, it can be a little intimidating to, to even start, right? It's like, how mm-hmm. often do you think about your water board or the water utility? Um, yeah. There is just a host of information um, available on your local water utilities website, and just by calling the utility. Um, every year, we're also given um, a quality report that goes through exactly just what the measures uh, measurements are in relationship to to EPA standards. And so, I, I encourage individuals to do just a little bit of investigation. Um, you know, educate yourself on just knowing where your water is coming from. Knowing how it's funded, what some of the funding challenges are, which is all available um, there on the website and from uh, websites out there, but then also to see if there's any threats of you know private corporations trying to come in and offer some sweetheart deal to run the system, which is actually not going to solve any of these infrastructure um, challenges that we've been talking about. What do you think are the top three actions
0: that our listeners could take right now today um, to be part of the solution, uh, not just part of the you know campaign to take in information, but to get out there and be part of the solution to solve this problem?
2: What can they do? There's a lot, and it's hard to, to boil it down to just three. But one um, that I want to focus on first is just actually using our public water systems. These systems as they stand right now, provide incredibly high-quality water. Um, So actually using public water over bottled water is the first thing that you can do, And, and that's really sending a strong message to public officials that these systems are a priority for your community. And most people don't even know that bottled water is less regulated than tap water and mm-hmm. nearly half of it comes from tap water to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a different show we'll have to focus on.
0: Yes, we should. <laughs> um,
2: the, the second thing that that individuals can do is actually join the the Public Water Works campaign and you can start by signing our open letter which mayors and public water directors from across the country have signed calling on um, the federal government to reinvest in, in the tap and, and that's available at publicwaterworks.org and mm-hmm. then the The third thing that I would push is just to advocate for community water rights. Um, And the way that people can do that is by introducing and supporting ordinances. Um, There's been some passed in Gloucester, Mass., and Stockton, California, which gives the public a voice on Mm -hmm. any conversations concerning the privatization of their public water systems or, or the decisions that are being made about that. And that makes sure that, like we were just talking a minute ago, that the public within your local community has a voice to help de- uh, decide the decisions Uh, make the decisions that are being made for public water systems. Absolutely. Well,
0: thank you so much, Kristen. This has been a great show, so enlightening, so helpful, and I hope that our listeners will take your advice. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us on Go Green Radio. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We're going to be here same time, same place next week. So until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.